It's your Locked On Flyers podcast for Tuesday, June 14th, your daily dose of Flyers news, analysis, and high-quality content that is excited for day two of our crossover with the Locked On Canadians crew. We are going to get into some more draft prospects and compare our team's rebuilds. Love it. Your Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, once again, I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here with Russ Cohen, who's on Twitter at Sportsology. Thanks for making Locked On Flyers your first listen every day. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Flyers. You'll keep up to date on all the Flyers news and our episodes. You can also email us at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. We will be doing a mailbag later this week, so get those questions in. On today's show, we are back talking with Scott and Laura over at Locked On Canadians. They're such great people to talk to, especially because the Habs have that number one overall pick in the draft. So we are going to talk to them about some of the options other than Shane Wright today, such as the defenseman, David Yurichek and Simon Nemich. And then we're also going to talk about Matt Savoy and Yuri And then I thought it would be great if we just talk to them about how their rebuild is going and how it differs from what the Flyers are trying to do. So Good idea. a lot of great stuff on today's show. Locked on Flyers is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you are listening right now. So subscribe. You will get all of our episodes here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can also watch us over on YouTube. So give us a like and subscribe over there as well. So without further ado, here is our first conversation with them on the defenseman, David Juracek and Simon Nemich. One of the other interesting questions, I think, going into this draft is the case of the two defensemen that are available in Simon Nemich and David Yurichek. And I think there's conventional wisdom saying that Nemich is going to go before Yurichek, but Yurichek is a very appealing player. And so Russ, looking from the Habs perspective, is he worth go? Is either one of those guys worth going down in the draft for, or do you trade up to get a second top five pick for either of them? Well, I mean, they they have a lot of picks. I guess it's possible that they could trade and get a second top five pick. If they did, sure, one of these guys would be probably be the reason because they stuff they definitely still need help on the blue line. And they definitely will need a top power play guy because because even you know Romanov's not that guy. He could play it, but he's probably a second power play guy. So they they you know they need somebody else. So that is a possible scenario. Uh, the difference between the two, it's interesting. I uh, Yurichek is just kind of like this destroyer on the ice. He has all the point scoring ability that Nemec does, but he has that other physical edge that Nemec doesn't have. When he plays on a team, and this has been true like for a lot of his career, he's had to be the best player on his team. 
So he's had to do almost everything. Like I remember watching a little bit of the world championships and watching Yerichek, like he's got to bring up the puck up the ice. He's got to figure out that next pass or take the shot. He's got to figure out how to set up the power play. If he's on the power play, like, you know, cause he doesn't have much talent around him. And that's the way it's been for him where Nemec, I feel like had a little bit more talent. He's um sneaky fast. He's smart. He does have some, uh, does take some dumb penalties. I felt at times, but he's really good offensively too. Uh, I think both guys are comparable and maybe your could be slightly better offensively. Uh, but, but Nemec could be a guy that improves over time. Definitely has the ability to be a top four defenseman too. I think they both have, a chance to be, you know, top pairing guys, but I think Yurichek is more slated for that simply because I think that extra little size and toughness, that's something that I, I felt like that was where I ranked him a little higher. And I think teams are gonna feel that way too. I think one of the things is that when you're guy when you're a player with that role, you do have to have that toughness. I mean, there's a lot of conversations about skill and toughness and all of that, but we're talking about guys who already have the skill, right? Like that's yes. that's it's already there. And I think one of the reasons that Canadians fans keep asking this question is particularly because right now in their system, they don't have anybody that could be that top pairing defenseman, right? They've got guys right. who might make it. They've got some really great players. I know, like we're you know we're we're big fans of Caden Gooley, for example, mm-hmm. but there's still like a question mark they've got great depth defensemen in their prospect system but they don't have that guy so a lot of a lot of Habs fans are like you could kill both both stones uh, both birds with one stone in this draft and walk away and start building your core tomorrow if you do that but obviously they're gonna have to try and trade up so my question to you is from a flyers perspective because it does seem like both of those will be available around where the flyers are picking like what are your thoughts on adding guys like that uh, I'll, I'll just go first, just for, and then I'll let Rachel, and then Rachel will go. The only thing I'd add um, about Gooley is I think he's a guaranteed lock at a number two. I don't know if he's a number one. Um, that's what we'd have to find out over time. As far as with the Flyers, I think both of those guys will be in the discussion uh, when the draft starts. I think only one of them will be there when they pick. I think this will be the big decision for them. I have no idea which guy they value over the other, but just based on the way they've been basically working the last couple of years, I'm thinking they're going to want the guy who's bigger and tougher, uh, especially since even Provorov hasn't really proven on that a- angle as far as being a you know toughness. They have you know they have Ristolainen, but they you know that's on a second pair. You like to have them on the top four too. So I think that's where they would look at. But I'm not sure how Rachel feels. Yeah, I think you know for me, and and this is what we've been talking about. The giant question is, what's Seattle going to do? Because it feels yeah. like they're the least predictable of any of these top five teams in terms of what their pick is going to be, and the Flyers are kind of at their mercy, right? So if Seattle decides they want to go bigger, stronger, tougher, and take a guy like Yurichek, then Nemich is available. Although hopefully that means Savoy is still there, and maybe they'll consider him as well. But I think that you know from these two defensemen perspective I think either one of them would be okay for me if the Flyers picked them but you know there are these these differences in in their games and I think Yurichek is more what the Flyers are looking for right in this moment so uh, again we'll see we'll see what Seattle does I agree with that yeah Seattle is a wild card here and they both need they both need defensemen they really do 
All right, we are going to talk about Matt Savoy and Yaroslavkovsky with the Habs crew coming up next. But first, we are going to hear about our friends at Built Bar. Don't you love chewy, chocolatey brownie? What about a caramel brownie with caramel swirl on, swirled on top? So good. What if I told you that you could have all that chewy, chocolatey deliciousness plus 17 grams of protein? You're in luck because... Caramel brownie bars are available at Built.com right now, and you got to act fast because they're a fan favorite. Forget about dessert. These are your new dessert treat. Plus, the macros are unreal. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar. I would replace a regular brownie with Built's caramel brownie bar in a heartbeat. Best part, caramel brownie bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. With Built, you don't have to sacrifice tasty for healthy. You could have both. And all of and all of Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. There's a million reasons that you should try Built Bars, but for now, let's just say Caramel Brownie will rock your world. That's not an understatement. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. We have an important favor to ask you out there. Locked On has put together a survey so we can learn more about you, the listener, and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and what you don't like about Locked On shows. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long. And if you complete a survey, you can qualify for a chance to win one of $1,000 Ticketmaster gift cards. So to take that survey, go to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey. And thanks for your help. And uh, here's part two of our conversation today with the Locked On Habs crew. In the previous segment, I referred to Matt Savoy as one of the guys that should be on the Flyers draft pick board for that fifth overall pick. Another guy who likely won't be there but could be an option for the Montreal Canadiens is Yaroslavkovsky. We have been talking about him a lot on our show, and I talked about him a lot, obviously, um, covering the Olympics for Locked On NHL. And so I his name just rolls off the tongue right now for me pretty easily. But I do want to talk about both of them because they're just such a, a different way to go, right? Because Matthew Savoy is a small, dynamic forward. And uh, Yaroslav Kofsky is a big guy who parks himself in front of the net and does a lot of great things uh, offensively, um, but is also smart in his own way. So I think that Savoy is going to be a little bit lower in the ranking, so I'm not sure he's an option for Montreal. But if you're looking for a, a dynamic offensive player, what are your two main things that you want to differentiate between them, Russ? Yeah, I mean, if, if Savoy were you know, six foot, he would be in this conversation, but he's not. So I get why he's not going to be. It's just the way the, the hockey world is at the moment. Maybe the game changes again over time. Slakovsky, look, he was at, at the combine. He he was basically like a presidential wannabe. He, he was out there and he's like, yeah, I spoke to him. And yeah, I think I should be the first overall. And <clears throat> yeah, I know Shane said this, but that's his thoughts and whatever. Like, I get it. He's flexing his arms. He's showing how big he is. I get all of that. 
The offensive ability is there. The skating's really good. I mean, again, the world championships were good. They weren't great. Like, there was no Russia. There was a lot of players not there from the U.S. But he's a young guy, so he still did well. Same thing with the Olympics. Were they the best Olympics as far as rosters? No. But, again, you can't take that away from a young guy being able to, you know, play up in age. And so he's been able to do that. I just feel like with him, uh, especially if he went to a place like Montreal, I think the pressure would be immense for him. I think Wright knows how to deal with pressure because he's been playing in Canada all this time, and he knows about it. He's had a target on his back, and and he knows how to deal with all that. I don't think Slepkovsky could deal with that. While this was a happy-go-lucky kind of setting, there could be a, a moment a year or two into his career where you're getting into Galchenyuk territory and having to explain <laughs> like maybe why the offense isn't there and what you're doing every day and what are you doing to prepare. And I could see Slepkovsky getting mad at that. Because, you know, he is really good and he has gotten to this point and he is a prideful guy and he is super talented. But I just think that part's not a match. I, I look at Slavkovsky's talent, too, and like the offense, he's a phenomenal offensive player. No one has yeah. ever said otherwise. It's just I look at what the needs of the Canadians are right now, too. And I look at this and go, they have a lot of wingers right now, some of which who are going to get moved out, but they've got other guys coming up in the system that they're going to want to get out of the AHL into regular NHL time. And I don't know if Slavkovsky is that guy for this upcoming year to fill that spot. Yeah, he had a really good Olympic game, but like you said, it was not against your traditional Olympic opponents. World right. championships, you know, okay, he was over a point per game, but it's also, you know, some of the guys who were cast-offs from the NHL teams who were limited in the playoffs and such. Still very impressive for a I young mean, one guy. game, just so people know, one game the U.S. played four defensemen. Because, yeah, exactly, because they lost a bunch. They didn't register Jordan Harris, another player, and it's like <laughs> – it, 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 I don't want to call it a joke because it is taken no. seriously, but it's not nearly as like, you know, impressive in the grand scheme of things is that I think Slavkovsky is a great player. And if the Canadians are going to pick someone other than Shane Wright at first overall, I'm hoping they're picking Logan Cooley, who we talked about before, or Matthew Savoy here. They need a center down. They need someone who can step in and be in that middle six role behind Nick Suzuki this upcoming season. And if they Way better than that, great. You move him up like we were talking about. It with well, Slavkovsky is saying he could play center now, and apparently there are a few teams that believe it or at least are talking themselves into it. I can't tell you I've ever, I've ever seen it, and I don't think any of us have ever seen it because it was years, a couple of years ago. So now this is like, do you believe he could play center? And that's where I don't think the Canadians should take that risk. Well, and this is where the New Jersey Devils are the team that takes that kind of risk and has right. it fail. That is like without question. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Canadians went through this with these Ferry Kotkaniemi's that, yes, I played center, but the draft year, you mostly played on the wing. And then it just, it never crystallized the way that it needed to. I don't, Galax, don't overthink this if you're Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, both of whom I think are very smart people and know what they're doing here. If he says he can play center at the last minute going into this, that's a pitch, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a presidential yeah. candidate saying I'm going to give free chocolate bars to everybody. Yep. If you elect me, don't, don't fall hey, for He's that. got my vote then. <laughs> it, coffee crisp for everybody uh, at the draft. Arrow, uh, arrow bars for me. Uh, if it's Ooh. coffee crisp, I'm not voting for him. Ooh, I do love arrow bars though. So <laughs> I, I can make this work. We can make this, but regardless, don't fall for the last minute. Billy May sales pitch here, but right. wait, I can play center too. No, 
no, no, you, you haven't and, played and, center at that level. And the important no. thing is I, I've never looked at Slavkovsky as a good two-way player. Maybe he'll turn into that, but he's not right now either. It's a last-minute sales pitch. to, And that's the thing is the draft combine and the interviews, you are selling yourself as a player. Yes. We, we both sat through enough where they get up there and say, yeah, I had a great thing. And it's like I did three pull-ups, but you know what? They were the best three pull-ups at this <laughs> entire combine kind of thing. <laughs> I, I get it, and I just I I like him as a player, and I'm willing to be wrong on that. But at the same time, I don't see him being better than what Shane Wright's doing right now. The body of work is so different. Looking what the Canadians need, a team like the Devils, yeah, you can take that risk. You have Jack Hughes, you have Nico Heischer, you have other pieces. Montreal doesn't have that. They're starting from a different point here. And if they had still Kotkaniemi or Philip Deneau, then I could understand it. But they don't, and fact of the matter is i don't even think the canadians feel bad that they lost kokanami at this point i don't I, and they shouldn't I, the probably fans don't that's yeah. for sure um and it's like, no slide on the kid i think he's a decent player but he's not what you know people were building him up to be no uh, and that's a hard part i look at slavkovsky and go that if you reach for this you're going to go through the same thing again and you're going to watch the guy that you could have taken you know even they're not uber impressive but they're solid and nhl regulars you're going to regret it for the rest of your tenure there and I think fans are going to be mad at that. And I don't, we don't want to go through that all again, basically. I would agree, but I will say I love his personality. Hmm? Yes. Personality, I can see. So Matthew Savoy then, Russ, in terms of him being an option for the Habs or for him to fall to the Flyers. Yeah, I think he, I think he will fall to the Flyers. And I think the Flyers will have to make a decision like they made on Cole Caulfield, right or wrong, uh, is are we going to take the smaller player who's very dynamic? We think he may be able to play center, but even if he plays wing, he'll be great. Uh, I do think there's a chance he'll play center, but that's fine. We don't have to even worry about that today. We just have to worry about everything else. Now people are starting to say, well, he doesn't really have elite skating. Yeah, but Matthew Savoy knows where to go on the ice. You don't have to be an elite skater if you know where to go and you know where the puck's going to be and you're a good scorer, which he is. And he's also a guy that's a terrific two-way player but also makes players around him better. Go look at the numbers. Like, I don't know, is that what the Flyers thought about Connor McLennan? Maybe, but certainly Connor McLennan uh, benefited from Matt Savoy, at least on the power play, if nothing else. So everybody benefits from playing with the guy. He's like, if you listen to him speak at the Combine, it was like having another coach. And it is good to have another player like that on the ice for a coach because that becomes like the coach's best friend. Like, hey, I don't have to do all this here. I can let this guy do some of the talking and the players really buy into it much better that way. So, you know, if I'm the Flyers, I have to have a hard conversation because while they would like and do need that um, defensive position, they need playmakers too. Like when you lose Giroux and Voracek, no matter what you thought about their play and everything else, they were stone cold guaranteed for a certain amount of points playmakers in this league. Now the Flyers are lacking that. It's very interesting times for the Flyers. And like Russ and I have been talking about on our show that in this draft in particular, we really have to think about not where the Flyers are at this very moment, but where they're going to be in two right. to three years. That it's important to think about that and not just go for, oh, this year they supposedly got pushed around too much and they're not physical enough. You don't want to just take the big guy because this guy isn't going to be ready for two or three years. And you have to think about the overall 
prospect pool that you have and what direction the league is going in overall in terms of what's in fashion. Yeah, the worry is, let's say Juracek is there at five. Uh, they could bring him right over. They could give him his nine games and talk themselves into it like Lucas Beza or somebody like that. Like, hey, let's just keep him in the lineup or we'll put him in the Phantoms for a while and maybe, you know, after 20 games we'll bring him up. That, that's going to be there. Like, that temptation is going to be there. Yeah. It really is. And I just don't want the Flyers to have knee-jerk reactions to anything right now. But unfortunately, they're in a position where they're going to feel that pressure. Chuck Fletcher is feeling that pressure. I'm sure whoever the coach winds up being is going to feel that (laughs) pressure. And uh, depending on who that is, they're going to do what they want to do versus listen to those voices or not. I mean, I think some of the different candidates are have different philosophies on that front. Some of yeah, them, at least Montreal knows who their yeah. coaches. Yeah. <laughs> For right now. Anyway. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but up next will be our comparison between the flyers and Canadians rebuilds. So one of the interesting, I think, contrasts between the Philadelphia flyers and Montreal Canadians is, this idea that the Canadians are embracing a rebuild right now in a really comprehensive way. They traded away a lot of people at trade deadline and, you know, over the course of the last year or so to kind of set themselves up properly for this rebuild. They fired the entire management team, have like a new uh, management team in place, whereas the Flyers are in this weird gray area that they're calling an aggressive retool that Chuck Fletcher is still there as the as the GM they are dealing with what I think will be either the fifth or sixth coach in the last five or six years it's kind of a mess um, to understate it just a little bit and to have the Habs who went from a Stanley an improbable Stanley Cup final but a Stanley Cup final nonetheless straight into this kind of rebuild mode is an unusual thing, but they seem to be doing things in a very logical, progressed way, as opposed to the Flyers who are just kind of scrambling. And so I guess I want to hear what's a what's a properly done rebuild look like? I think the advantage that this incoming management team is that they're brand new, right? It's it's kind of like the most the, the time that you're the most popular as the new GM is when you first been appointed. And I think the, the Canadians so far, the steps that they've taken, both in terms of hiring as well as in terms of trades or, you know, their messaging that's going out to the fandom uh, has been really, really positive as a Canadians fan. I have to say that I personally feel really confident in the way, in the direction the team is going, but they haven't had a chance to make big mistakes yet, right? That we have to remember that. I do think, though, that the fact that you kind of have to embrace it, because for many years we heard in Montreal, through mediocrity, we kept hearing that the Montreal market will never embrace a rebuild. But they finally got to a point where, you know, making the, 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 they, they would make, the playoffs and then they would go on improbable runs in the playoffs this is not the first time it happens it's the first time we get all the way to a stanley cup final in this market but you know you talk about like the times that they've they've gone to the eastern conference final in the past you know one of them was against the flyers like those were all improbable improbable and it's like it is true that anything can happen when you make the playoffs 
But that shouldn't be your strategy, right? Like your strategy is to build a deep team that can constantly be relied upon to play well. And I think the the messaging that's coming from this team, like Kent Hughes is an unproven GM, obviously. He has absolutely no experience in the league. But then you can look at Jeff Gorton's decision in decisions in Boston and in New York. And there are a lot of them that are very, very positive. I think what the Canadians have, have been able to do is kind of sell a philosophy up and down the management team. And they're selling it to the fans really well. And I like that because they are giving us just enough transparency to to give us hope. But they're not playing their hand. They're not showing their hand. Sorry, they're not showing their hand is the expression. I, I feel like with the Flyers, it seems like it's reacting, not methodical pre-planning. And that's the difference I would I would make. And so, you know, when you hear the words like aggressive retool or retool on the fly, it always feels to me reactive. And the Canadians are like, you can call this whatever you want to call it. But what we want to do is we want to build a contender, right? So me looking at the Habs, two years from like, uh, sorry, if, if I was looking at it at it at the beginning of the season and I said, what are the Canadians going to look like two, three years from now? All I saw was a pit of despair, but then things changed so quickly in such a short amount of time because of the decisions that we saw the team making. They were not afraid to do unpopular things like trade away, for example, Tyler Toffoli, a huge fan favorite in this market. They traded away Arturi Lekkonen, who a lot of fans didn't necessarily appreciate all that much, but is a super versatile player. Like He's one of those depth players that you win championships with, and the Colorado Avalanche are almost like they're almost at that point with him right so they have made moves that they they have made bold moves and they haven't been afraid to do that so for me i think that's a really good thing and the other thing that i'm finding really really positive is that they don't make moves just for the sake of making them and i feel like a lot of gms do that a lot of front offices will do that. I think what they do is they 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 patiently wait until they get what they want. They did that with Marie-Philippe Poulain. They pitched her a while ago. She said she wasn't interested in ending her playing career just yet. They worked it out so that now she can do another Olympic cycle and learn management and also be part of the staff, right? But that's only one example, right? With Tyler Toffoli, they asked a, a high price. They got it. Ben Sherratt, they got... <laughs> They got a king's ransom for Ben Sherratt. They really did. They literally, and you know, you look at Brett Kulak and Arturi Lekin, and they were traded last minute on the trade deadline. So they literally, they did not make the move until they got what they wanted. Jeff Petrie was being shopped or, you know, he was available. It was widely known that he was available, but he didn't get traded. You know, you'd think in a situation where the player says that they want a new market, and that's changed since that time. Uh, Like the offseason has kind of changed a lot for Jeff Petrie, but you know, when you see that a guy's unhappy and he wants to leave, you'd think that the team that has him has less leverage, not more. And the Canadians just haven't traded him because they didn't get what they wanted for him. So I feel very confident with their patience, with the fact that they're not reacting, that they're acting. Uh, I think that's a huge difference right there, is that if you look at the deals that Chuck Fletcher has made, um, I mean, some of them have been okay. I do mm-hmm. think that Cam Atkinson, Jake Voracek trade one for one made a lot of sense for both teams. And I, I think what Cam Atkinson brings in in a situation like this to the Flyers is really good. I, I just think that he is a little more reactionary, like you were saying. And, and I do think that he doesn't wait for the perfect deal. And he doesn't get the most for the assets when he trades. And when he trades for somebody, he gives up more than he should. 
And I mean, if you look at the wrist align and deal, obviously that is the marquee example of him trading away too much for a player that wasn't going to give you that kind of value in return. And so, you know, I, I think that especially after having a slow burn GM like Ron Hextall, who says, I've got a plan, it's going to take a while. And then we trust him and it doesn't, and he gets fired like before whatever his plan is comes to fruition, like it or not, if you think it was, you know, too slow or, or not, he, he got fired before whatever his plan was ostensibly was going to come to fruition. So we'll never know. We'll never know exactly if his vision was going to work. And then you bring in a guy like Chuck Fletcher, who has, in some respects, has to have been reactionary, but at the same time, doesn't appear to at least have that overall vision and plan. And that's what's frustrating, I think, for Flyers fans, is that there are some people who are just frustrated with the whole thing because we never got anywhere and this team is always two or three years away versus like maybe now we want a rebuild and they're not giving it to us, which is a really difficult place to be in. I think it's a tough spot. That's kind of where Montreal was that Mark Bergevin like seemed to kind of have a plan until he didn't in that he just kind of tried to straddle both sides of the fence and never committed. And it, it delayed what probably should have happened a couple of years ago. And now Courtney and Hughes have to do that. Is that like you said, having an actual plan of attack is the biggest thing here is if you go in, you know, just trying to wing it and seeing how it goes, that's not, if you actually have to tear it down and start over, you have to have a plan in place. Cause if you just kind of do it, however, you're either not going to get the assets you need to rebuild. You're going to give up the wrong guys for not nearly enough. And you're just going to set yourself back in the end there. You might see some marginal success, but you got to go for it. If you don't go for it and actually commit to doing what you're going to do, you stay in this perpetual cycle of, ah, we we got better this year because someone had a career year or the goalie was really good. And then a down year when everything kind of goes back to normal and you don't know what happened, just commit and go for it. And I'm kind of glad to see Hughes and Gordon are doing that as it stands right now. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with Bergevin is he wanted to, you know, um, not be capped out. Okay. And and he finally did spend some money, and the team did get somewhere. Uh, although we know that it was like a magic carpet ride, and that like at least the Canadians realized that that's what it was. And Gordon, uh, you can see how the Rangers are. Gordon was very responsible for that, and because Hughes does want to sort of be like the face and let Gordon sort of Gordon work in the back room, it's a good combo. I find that the way that they they carry themselves is different. You know, the, the, the organization with Mark Bergevin, I don't know if, it, I don't remember, I truly don't remember. I remember being at the draft in Pittsburgh with his first pick, right? That turned out to be... Um, oh, Galchenyuk. Yeah, yeah. Yes, him. And and I just remember just like the positivity surrounding our, our, our the organization then. It was a new management. It was a new pick. It was, you know, a new era. And then towards the end, it seemed very secretive and combative. Like he was very, very difficult with the media. He wasn't, you know, it, it just, even even the, the VP of communications was not well liked by the media, it turned out later. You know, like they just seemed to be like this cabal more than anything else. And, the, you know, the way that they care themselves now is just so different and so transparent. They're moving into a new era. Like they used to be really conservative type of organization where even their social media was boring and now you know you see the gm hop on twitch like it's a lot of it's a lot of trend 
transparency that they're doing. It's a lot of appealing to fans that they're doing, but they're also not, it's, it's not just for the sake of marketing and pleasing people, right? Like they have a strategy, they have a plan, they have ideas. So everything that we're getting at this point, like I truly can't say a negative thing. And that's why, you know, we're going to go back to our, the beginning of, of our conversation where we talked about whether or not they picked Shane Wright. They can't afford to tank this pick. They really can't. Like all of no, us goodwill will get, you know, if, if whoever they pick turns out to not turn out to be like a, a core piece that they can build a contender around, they yeah, might not it, have to be a superstar. If it's a Louis LeBlanc pick, they're in trouble. Exactly. Well, so, and, and that's you know, exactly what happened to the Flyers with Nolan Patrick, right? right. <laughs> Although I would say anymore. it was because of hard times for Patrick, not because he couldn't play, right? But it still happened. Right, but it still happened. And yeah. there's a lot of 2020 hindsight that goes on with draft picks. Oh, yeah. All right. That was our second half of our crossover with the Locked On Canadians team, Scott and Laura. Always a pleasure talking to them about hockey, about the Habs. And uh, I feel like they have a soft spot in their hearts for the Flyers. So we appreciate that. Yeah, they might. They just might. All right, wrapping up with our Flyers fun thing. Uh, the Flyers have been posting draft day memories on their social media about all the different players uh, and what their experiences were that day. And I was especially interested in the Scott Lawton draft day experience and remembering that because that was the draft that was in Pittsburgh and mm -hmm. to get introduced to the Flyers-Pens rivalry on your draft day must have been quite a thing. Yeah, I could tell you, um, since I was at that draft and I was doing some radio, I think I was in front of him for that, but I can't remember. But I could also tell you that the reports were that, you know, while he had a great under 18s, his skating wasn't great. And so he was one of those guys that they had to sort of fix his skating stride. Well, they have, and he's a really good player. He really has, I think, turned out to be a solid player in the lineup. I know it's taken him a little while to get there, but mm -hmm. but I think he has. So. Good on him, and I hope he has fond memories of that day. I'm sure he does. They all do. All right, that'll do it for today's show. We will be back again tomorrow, and we are going to talk Edmonton Oilers with Paul Almeida, who's an Oilers expert. We're going to get into what their offseason is going to look like and is there potential for a deal with the Flyers there. As a reminder, we always want to hear from you. So send us in your mailbag questions via Twitter at Lockdown Flyers, or you can email us at lockdownflyers at gmail.com. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at our Miriam. That's R M I R I A M. I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S P O R T S O L O G Y. You made us your first listen today. Now make your second listen Locked on NHL. Locked on NHL covers the playoffs like no other. You can hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday. I'm on the Friday show, so check that out. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great day, everyone.